0: Hi, everyone. This is Laurie Handlers, and you're tuned in to Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. This, of course, is my favorite thing to do. I tell you that all the time, and I really mean it. I really, really mean it. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. I greet you in peace. And you, just so you know, you can follow me as Laurie Handlers on Facebook, on Twitter, and you can write to me at laurie at tantracafe.com if you have any questions about any of my guests or if you want to just write me with guest suggestions, and of course I love fan mail, so please communicate with me. Are you somebody that has been in a partnership with someone that you just don't quite understand? You feel that they socially miss a beat, or sometimes they're just not really present, or they might even have some very interesting sexual pursuits, things that maybe don't feel quite normal to you, but you love them anyway, and so you you just kind of deal with it. You you go along. Perhaps you're the partner of somebody who has Asperger's. Now, I've done a show about Asperger's before with a person who actually has Asperger's, and he talked a lot about how tantra made a huge difference for him in his being able to be present with people, being able to understand that he did sometimes miss a beat, Well, today my show is about what it is to be the partner of somebody who perhaps has Asperger's, whether it's diagnosed or not. And my guest today has delved into this subject quite thoroughly. Her name is Dr. Amy Marsh, and she explores love's outer limits as a clinical sexologist, hypnotherapist, and Amy is a columnist for Carnal Nation. As a researcher, she's appeared on Good Morning America, Tyra Banks show, and soon she'll be on a National Geographic special about taboo. Hi, Amy. It's great to have you here today to shed some light about another direction or dimension of Asperger's. Thanks for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you, Lori. It's really great to be here. Uh, I hope I can uh, shed some light. Uh, I think we all need it.
0: Oh, listen, I, I tell people often that Asperger's is one of my favorite topics. I have lots of people around me who are diagnosed or not diagnosed, but nonetheless, I know that they, they have Asperger's. And I can't really say that they suffer from it. They may not even know that they have it, but other, they certainly leave other people puzzled. And once people would know that they have Asperger's, it would be so much easier to to relate and connect. That's my experience anyway. I have a lot of people who work for me uh, from time to time who assist my workshops. It's just, I don't know. I've attracted a lot of people in my life who have, who are somehow on the Asperger's spectrum. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what it is like as a clinical diagnosis.
1: Okay, well, since I'm a sexologist and not a psychologist, I, I probably won't be able to get too clinical. Um, okay. But it's basically on the autism spectrum. Um, some people have referred to it as higher-functioning autism, and I know there's some revisions coming up in the new uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, um, but I'm not really aware of what that exact language is. But for those of us in the real world who are not trying to diagnose anybody, it, uh, Asperger's syndrome or something very similar to that will look to us like somebody who's sort of sensitive sideways or they may be struggling with social situations they're usually wonderfully eccentric and brilliant at what they do and what they're passionate about but um, those of us who are more heavily socialized to conform to I like to say neurotypical standards uh, may find the behavior baffling or we can't quite expect what's going to happen next or that these folks are going to be paying attention to the same things that we think are important.
0: you know could I I, I just want to add some things there like the experiences that I've uh, experienced with people so it might m- take it more into the norm even for people. I have uh, the person that I interviewed before uh, who goes by Shivananda Deva, he used to go out on a first date with a woman. And she would be giving him signals that she liked him. But he, because of Asperger's, he would interpret those as signals that she loved him and wanted to marry him because he was doing well with her socially. So probably by the end of the first date, he would propose marriage. (laughs) I'm laughing, but, you know, he talked about how he he misread signals because he didn't get the signals or didn't know what appropriate dating behavior was. Other people that I know who who have Aspergers make the darnest comments. Uh, they may just their humor comes out a whole other way. They may see something brilliantly in a situation, and then when they go to describe it, the comment they might make might seem so off color or so inappropriate to people who who are not on the Asperger spectrum, to people who don't have high functioning adult autism. They may go, I wonder why they said that. So often these people have this this delayed sense of humor or a delayed reaction to something, or sometimes they're just laughing at something that we're not in on the joke. It, has that been your experience with people with Asperger's? I think you had a partner or have a partner with Asperger's, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it, Amy.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I, I like to say that. We're mistaken when we think that people with Asperger's syndrome aren't sensitive. They actually really are, but it's to different stuff. And so I think that's where that sense of humor comes in. And, yes, at one point in my life, um, I did have a partner who was my tantra partner for, I don't know, two or three years. Um, He passed away uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, he was not diagnosed. He was in his late 60s. He didn't feel the need of a label. But he was fascinated by my elaborate attempts to understand him. And when I did get that little light bulb over my head and think, wait a minute, I think I know what's going on here, and did some research, and then began to interact with him as if he had Asperger's syndrome, uh, things went much better in the relationship. Before that, I was really tearing my hair out, trying to figure out what was going on.
0: So, so what? Okay, so good. So, what would you tell people? I mean, if somebody, like I know somebody who has a husband with Asperger's, who, I mean, this is an extreme case, but her husband likes to cross dress and have mm-hmm. some and have some really, very unique types of sexual experiences. And at first, she was very shocked by when he finally told her what he really wanted. And then when she found out that he was diagnosed with Asperger's, she just went totally towards whatever it was that he wanted, whatever it was that, that his turn on was. So, so what light can you shed for us in terms of people's, uh, if they find that they have a partner like this or they find that they're like this, what should they do?
1: Hmm. Well, uh, I think the first thing that occurs to me is I I hope that this is working for your friend and her partner. It sounds like it is. And that um, there's a number of things I'd, I'd recommend. Number one, using very direct language about just about everything. So the emotional nuances or hesitations, the things that we expect people to pick up on intuitively in a relationship, that's probably not going to work. So uh, very direct, uh, almost business-like language for things that are sexual or emotional can be very, very helpful. Uh, also, there is a lot of gender fluidity among people on the autism spectrum, so it's not surprising uh, that you talk about your friend with her husband who likes to cross-dress and having some unusual interests besides uh I think that there's good reason for thinking that there's quite a number of people with Asperger's syndrome who probably are uh, quite fluid and free with things about their gender and sexuality. And so being adaptable, obviously, and uh, understanding is a good thing. That'll get you further than um, trying to, uh, I don't know, dig in your heels about something that's just not going to work uh let's see what are some of the other things i'd recommend um just i have a
0: question for you my question is so do you mean like at first until you started when you had this partner
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you would would you do things like take it personally if your partner didn't get that you were upset in a particular moment i mean i really i i i know this I want this to be so explicit so people really get it. Like, um, you would you might take it personally if the partner wasn't sensitive to you, and then you started to realize that 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 it was better to spell things out and say exactly how you felt or exactly what kind of response you
1: wanted. Well, it's it was even more than that. Uh, yes, I did take it very personally. I couldn't understand why this man that I had such an amazingly beautiful gazing practice with i mean we were having subtle body sex twice a week and it was it was profound it was so beautiful and yet at other times he would be so emotionally distant and remote that i i didn't understand and there didn't seem to be the kind of emotional continuity that i expected things were much more compartmentalized and 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 kind of jagged and uh
0: and, and what you, I had to learn. Did you, today, you interpret that as abuse, as a form of abuse at first?
1: Not abuse. I I just didn't understand it, and it it felt cold to me, and so I was hurt by it, because yeah, there would yeah. be such warmth at other times. So that lack of consistent uh, emotional connection was something that it took a while to get used to. And what I began to realize was that. Number one, giving him space to make transitions, for example, letting him pull himself off of the computer and eBay and give him, you know, 15 or 20 minutes to get used to the fact that I was in the room and let him come forward and start talking to me. I really needed to do that for him, and we we had a very distinct uh, series of, stages that we went through every time we got together and it was very interesting once I began to identify those and note those down. Uh, The other thing that I would say and I think this is really really important is that many people with Asperger's syndrome are probably going to feel more comfortable having a kind of a finite bubble in which to conduct their intimate relationships so something with a period of time with a clear beginning middle end and definite rules about or expectations about what's going to go on in there and that's one reason why i think tantra can be very good because the the ritualistic approach and the agreed upon uh, these are the activities we're going to do and this is how we're going to regard each other that can uh that can really help the the Asperger's person who doesn't have to be called upon to improvise in some sort yeah. of way, which is really anxiety producing for them. Yeah. And it, yeah. So good.
0: Well, well, we're going to stop here for a moment. When we come sure. back, we're, we'll t- we're going to take up on how tantra really relates to this because you're you're saying some things that are so important for people to hear. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. I'm Laurie Handler, your host. My guest today is Dr. Amy Marsh, who is a clinical sexologist and a hypnotherapist, and she she writes for something called the Carnal Nation, which we'll find out a little bit more about when we come back. Please stay tuned.
1: Have you ever wished for an end to pests in and around your home, around your office? Stop paying for dangerous chemicals that can harm your children, your pets, and your clients. Today in Arizona and Florida, an environmentally responsible pest control company named Ladybug has set up shop to provide natural and organic pest control services. Ladybug can help you stop even the most persistent, nastiest bugs with green, organic products that are friendly to people and pets. In addition, there are franchise opportunities in Arizona, Florida, and throughout the USA. To learn more about Lady. Ladybug's home-friendly and earth-smart green pest control services, visit the Ladybug website at ladybugcorp.com or call us at 561-276-7600. Ladybug guarantees you another eco-friendly, pest-free day, naturally. Wondering
0: what book you should read to jumpstart your sex life and increase your happiness? Try my book, Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy by me, Laurie Handler's. This short, easy-to-read book will make you laugh at yourself, and it may possibly make you cry as you discover my tantric secrets for happiness and how they apply to you. In the book, I begin with the 10th law, make love in the unknown, and then I work you all the way through laws 1 through 9 to teach you how to be in the unknown, fresh every moment of every day of your life. Sex and Happiness puts the innocence and love back into sex and gives Tantra the respect it deserves. It's only 19.99 in paperback and 14 dollars e Go to sexandhappiness.com to order your copy of Sex and Happiness by me, Laurie Handlers, the host of Tantra Cafe. We're back with Tantra Cafe, and I'm Laurie Handlers, your host. And this show is brought to you by Silk a personal lubricant that enhances your pH on the inside. You can find out more about Silk by going to ButterflyWorkshops.com forward slash Silk, S-Y-L-K. My guest today is Dr. Amy Marsh, and we're talking about the relationship of Tantra, the effect that Tantra can have on people with high-functioning autism, or better known as Asperger's. And you were just talking about how it helps to have ritualized behaviors and a beginning, middle, and an end, which is so smart. You know, Amy, I mean, I think that that's actually good almost for everybody. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It it certainly can be, uh, but it's uh, it's also the idea of the the sacred space, you know, as being the bubble too, you know, and again that helps to define the boundaries of What's going to happen as well as the possibilities and um, but these kinds of I call them semi-formal relationship structures they can be found in things other than Tantra, of course. Uh, there are a number of people who are attracted to uh, BDSM and kink. Um, there are other forms other structures that people also enjoy you know obviously a monogamous traditional marriage is one form of very definite structure that works for some people uh, not all uh, more, but
0: and more and more it's not working so we you know I've had many many shows on on polyamory I've had many shows on BDSM and kink uh, uh-huh. in terms of its ritualistic behaviors but I never connected it to the, these dots to the to the Asperger's but now that you say that I it, it's it'd be good to draw those parallels that people discuss ahead of time what they're going to do. There's a safe bubble, as you said, and then there's certain behaviors that are going to take place, and so the person can actually wrap their their brain around that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I think another thing that's really important, too, is to think of the um, possible sensory integration problems that a person with Asperger's syndrome Uh, might be particularly prone to. So, um, you know, there's a lot of times where very simple sensory elements can really derail a person's uh, sex life if they, for example, can't stand certain types of repetitive noise or certain types of light or color or textures in particular, uh, that these kinds of things can also be taken uh, account of in a a, a distinct space, you know, so if you've got your beautiful Tantra room, you're going to have the right kinds of fabrics in it and the right music or the right lighting and pay very careful attention that it's the kind of music, lighting, and textures that your Asperger partner can tolerate. Uh, and the same thing with BDSM, I think, is a great vehicle for those who are very, hyposensitive and do a lot of sensation seeking um, they're they're really providing a sensory diet through this eroticized activity it's quite interesting
0: yeah I always wondered about that I you know my take at first when I was really starting out in trying to discover what are all these things people are going after in the name of sensation for one thing uh, seeking love for something, for another thing, which mm-hmm. are quite different pursuits. I, o- I often thought that people were basically numb. I mean, I meet a lot of people in my in my work who are traumatized and they're basically numb. I wouldn't say the same for people with Asperger's. I don't feel that they're necessarily numb. I feel like maybe they really, really feel and, are, and what you said maybe are hyper sensitive. But I find I meet a lot of people who... Don't have the capacity to almost feel anything. Coupled with, since nine eleven, there's more people on Prozac and uh, other kinds of uh, blockers to feeling than ever before in our world. So, so I couldn't figure out why people were going to it so much towards fetish or so much towards kink or or um, BDSM. And uh, so my take on it was, okay, people are just numb. So they they want to go to the extremes to feel. Maybe you could shed some light on that.
1: Well, actually, um, a a little bit, yeah. I I hadn't even thought about the Prozac and and, uh, the pharmaceutical end of it. But when I said a minute ago, I I talked about hypo, meaning, you know, you might put it as as numb or really sensation-seeking. So there are some people who are, sensation seeking and need more of certain types of sensation in order to feel it and then there are people who are hyper sensitive and need less of that sensation and there are people who have some of each for different kinds of sensations so you, you can get a real mixture just in one person and the numbness that you're talking about it could be emotional numbness certainly from trauma but sometimes it can just be the way that people are wired in their senses. Um, I, I like to think of, you know, punks in a mosh pit as being a really great example of uh, hypo-sensitive sensation seeking. You know, those guys are all, mostly guys are, are bashing around against each other and they're having a great time and there's a reason for it.
0: What was the example again? I think I don't know what that is.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you've never been to a punk club and, and uh, observed the mosh pit? <laughs> oh, that mosh
0: pit is like where people, no. That's they, like area of the club where people bang into each other?
1: It's usually in front of the stage, and people are just ping-ponging off of each other, and uh, it can be pretty intense. And, <laughs> and yet people who are doing it are just loving it. You know, I, I see these as... Sensation seekers and they actually need it. Um, you know, his, I, I'm but, so glad you explained that. I have to be honest with you and say,
0: no, I have never seen that. <laughs> I've never been to a, I think I was to one punk club in my whole life and I don't think they had that. So um,
1: thanks for explaining that to me. <laughs> oh, well, Lori, it's one of my past lives. So,
2: um,
1: <laughs> um, yeah,
0: no, I think. I, and then there's the other then there's the other end of the spectrum, which are people who, like what you said, who are sensitive to light or sensitive to, to fabric or sensitive to a to certain kinds of sounds, and that could be very jarring to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Slippery sensations too can be a problem for some people. I actually had a couple at one point in my office who um, were having a real problem because one of the partners absolutely could not bear the idea of oral sex because of slipperiness and the other partner was furious about this and um, trying to figure out something for them was difficult and it was a a very clear uh, sensory dysfunction that the one partner was experiencing and of course the other partner was not happy
0: what happened now of course i'm curious to know what happened
1: Well, I don't really know the end of the story. I recommended that they try using some saran wrap uh, because this was a case where the the male partner uh, did not want to uh, perform oral sex on his female partner. And um, they were a little dubious about that, but it was the best technique I had to offer at the time. And I actually never heard from them again. They were in my office one visit. And so... It could have worked beautifully or it could have been a disaster but they they never got back to me to let me know
0: so that's a shame for you that you didn't find out whether your remedy worked. right uh, but that that so that was like one of the most odd or interesting uh, cases I'm sure you've come across what does it mean to uh, explore love's outer limits when you say that as a sec- as a clinical sexologist like what kinds of things do you actually Coach people in or counsel people in that are out of the norm, and I, I there is nothing out of the norm anymore. But let's just say that that isn't vanilla.
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, probably the thing I'm I'm most uh, oh gosh, if I can say I'm well known uh, for is having done some research with the objectum sexuality community and. These are the folks who are not attracted for the most part to human partners. They really prefer to partner with objects of various kinds. And this is beyond fetish, and this is certainly way beyond just the use of sex toys. These are full blown relationships. And this, this, wait a second, this is, but this,
0: wouldn't you say that these people were on the Asperger spectrum?
1: Some of them actually are, but not all of them. Okay. What I'm finding might be even more of a factor, and I haven't quite substantiated this, but i've I've done a little bit of subsequent research. There's a form of synesthesia, you know which is where your your senses again are kind of crosswired, so you might taste sounds or see smells, you know it's that kind of thing. But there's a lot of different kinds of synesthesia, and there is one called object personification synesthesia. And so if you think that that salt shaker has a really great personality, but you can't stand the fridge, you're probably more likely to want to date the salt shaker. So in this research I've just done, and it's very simple survey research, okay? This is nothing grand, and it's, it's pretty much a do-it-yourself thing. Um, I just got some results back from 21 people in the OS community, and of the 21, 20 report sensing object personalities, and there's about four or five who actually have very distinct other kinds of synesthesia experiences as well. So I'm just happy because this explains to me why some people would think that they're having a reciprocal relationship with what we think is an inanimate object. There is a high percentage of people on the autism spectrum in that group, but, again, it's not everybody. And uh, and also there's not really a definitive link to sexual trauma as having caused this. I want to make that point, too. So the OS community are a pretty interesting bunch. Now, are you saying RS? No, I'm sorry, OS for objectum sexuality. Object and sex- sexuality. Amazing. Ob- objectum, yeah. And yes. uh, okay so if if people want to Google the woman who married the Eiffel Tower, that will probably be their quickest way into learning about OS, but the best way is to go to uh, OS International, which is actually the website for that community
0: and how many how many people does this affect? I mean, how huge are the numbers of people who who, who this is this is incredulous to me is so it- I yeah, I, it, I've i not seen it in all the thousands of the people that have come to Tantra with me. I don't think I saw it before that, before I was a Tantra master or before I was a Tantra goddess. I don't think I saw it. My only experience with it is on, the, on Boston Legal when there was a character with Asperger's named Jerry who was in love with another character who was having an affair with a clock.
1: Right, right, I've heard about that. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. Well, you, you're not likely to see an objectum sexual in a tantra workshop because, you know, they're not use, They're not really interested in human romantic or sexual partners, so they very much like having human friends and, and all that. Um, so, yeah, there's a reason you probably wouldn't have seen it. The only reason I bumped into this whole thing was because because I was interested in people with Asperger's syndrome and their sexuality. And it just kind of was a connect-the-dots thing for me.
0: Amazing. Well, we're going to pause for a moment. We'll be right back. If you just tuned in, I'm talking to Dr. Amy Marsh, who explores love's outer limits, and she has just shared with us people, uh, a whole concept or notion of people who have romantic relationships with things other than humans. And, uh, and how she stumbled upon it from researching Asperger's. So stay tuned when we come right back. I have a lot of questions for her about this. This is some more amazing stuff. This is Laurie Handler signing off for a moment for Tantra Cafe. Have you ever wanted something really different from a plain old Swedish massage? If you want an extraordinary private bodywork session, call Krishna Naidu. Krishna definitely has the touch. He offers yoga fusion therapy, embodiment therapy, individual tantra sessions, and even private yoga classes. I hope this intrigues you. His work is subtle yet tremendously effective, and I know his clients keep coming back for more because I'm one of them. For more information about the sessions and to find a session near you, call Krishna Naidu at 857-891-8090. That's 857-891-8090. Paul Krishna and I do today.
1: Sessions are regularly available in New York, Boston, Washington, D.C., Phoenix, and Scottsdale.
0: I, Laurie Handlers, the host of this show, personally invite you to come with me on a tantric tour of the heart of India on November 21st to December 3rd, 2010. You'll see the Taj Mahal, of course, and visit the fabulous Vadipur Sikri, home of the great Mughal King Akbar. You'll experience the sacred lake in Pushkar, and then you'll tour the pink city of Jaipur. Then, at dawn from a boat on the Ganges in Varanasi, you'll see exquisite Hindu prayer rituals. Then you'll tour Sarnath, where the Buddha gave his first speech after attaining enlightenment. And finally, you'll get to explore the exotic Kama Sutpa temples in Kajuraho. All throughout the tour, you'll learn Tantric techniques and principles, and I promise you'll feel a tremendous sense of well-being as we delve into these simple yet potent Tantric tools. Please note, no previous experience of Tantra or yoga is necessary to come on this tour with me. I invite you to join me in this unique experience touring the incredible, incredible country of India. I must warn you, this is not your typical tour, and you are not the typical tourist.
1: For more information about this exciting tantric tour of the heart of India, contact Lori at ButterflyWorkshops.com or write to her at Info at We're
0: back on the air with Tantra Cafe, and I'm Lori Handlers, your host. I'm talking today with Dr. Amy Marsh. about what it is to be the partner of somebody who has Asperger's, or somebody on the Asperger spectrum is a better way to say it. High-functioning autism. And Amy's just talking about some related things uh, or, or phenomenon, we'll say, that have people—not uh, all people, but many people with some people with Asperger's—fall in love with inanimate objects. So, Amy. Uh, is this a relatively new phenomenon? Is this like a new thing? Or does this spread? You know, if I call Gloria Brahm, who does a blog about all kinds of things that have been happening in the world forever, is she going to tell me that people were in love with objects for centuries?
1: I really don't know. But I, I can tell you that in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, there are passages where it refers to uh, Quasimodo's deep romantic love for the bells and how at one point they were actually given in marriage to him it's an amazing passage there's also accounts of people who have been in love with statues my sense is that some of what we could now call objectum sexuality has probably shown up in the sexological literature as um, various kinds of fetishes so you know they they have the uh, the fetish for statues, but if it's a full blown emotional relationship, then I would put that in a category of objectum sexuality.
0: Amazing! I now you just reminded me of that old movie One Touch of Venus, which I think they did a remake on. But it's where a man falls in love with a statue, and he loves her so much and so much and so much that eventually she comes to life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then that would change it, you know, it's actually, it was just in his, in his thinking, in his uh, imagination, in his identification and projection, probably the statue didn't come to life, it's just probably that he was having a relationship with her as the statue. Amazing, what other kind of stuff, I mean, you're like this wealth of amazing information, what else, what else? Should we hear about that? I've never heard about before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure what you haven't heard about before, but uh, I I can tell you that I I love uh, stumbling across all kinds of things, you know, in in love's outer limits, and that that is the column that I write for CarnalNation.com, and. The theme has really been, let's go see what's out there. Let's go to the outer limits. Let's go exploring. And so I've gotten to write about everything from women who sell their used underwear online to reviewing a semen cookbook to dealing with objectum sexuality and sensory integration and uh, Asperger's syndrome topics. Uh, let's see what else has been up there recently. Uh, I'm also the parent of um, one of my children is transgender. So, of course, I'm very interested in gender issues and gender fluidity. Oh, 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 I know the other thing. Uh, Native Hawaiian sexual traditions. That's another one of my big uh, happy things to explore. What is that? Native Hawaiian sexual traditions. Native Hawaiian.
0: Are they, is it, I mean, do they resemble anything that has to do with Tantra or is it completely different different, because I'm, I'm just finding you so fascinating.
1: Okay, well, I I study Hawaiian culture anyway in in uh, a lot of depth and breadth, you know, including history and hula and uh, various things. But in the middle of all that, there's evidence that I found, which I think points to a sophisticated tradition of sacred sexuality once upon a time before european and western contact and i found traces of it in chants and different legends place names um, words in the dictionary hawaiian words so there are a lot of different things that come together for me in that and then there are also uh, traditions from the old culture that aren't necessarily specific to a sacred sexual tradition but It's just really interesting finding out what a sexually supportive and uh, sophisticated and rather enlightened society they used to have before Western contact. I think that might be
0: the case in many uh, cultures of, you know, uh, from before. There were probably many more sophisticated sexual things that, that were around for thousands of years and then Things changed. I mean, things changed with the advent of possession and security and religion and trying to control people. All kinds of things happened that changed us. Uh, so that's uh, that's very interesting. So what would you um, – I guess I want to get back to Asperger's a little bit. I, I, I thought your advice to the partner of somebody with Asperger's was excellent what kinds of things would you say to Asperger's people, people who actually have discovered that they're a little bit out of sync? And um, I mean, I'll, I'll just say to you that one of my uh, friends, how I found out about Asperger's to begin with was one of my friends told me that her brother had it after years of misdiagnosis, years of misprescription uh, therapy of different, kinds of uh, medical prescriptions that didn't help him at all. And he wasn't somebody who was too easy to corral. He isn't somebody that's had a lot of relationships. But one day she went in his room after she and I had talked for hours and after she had been through all the levels of Tantra that I teach, she went into his room and found about ten books from Osho, the great Tantric master. And she was shocked to see those books of Osho in her brother's room. So obviously he had stumbled upon Tantra by himself, you know, or but through the internet or what have you enough to order some books. Um, what other kinds of things would you recommend to somebody who who knows they have Aspergers or who thinks they might, who thinks they might be a little bit out of step, especially in relationship to their partners?
1: Well, there's a lot I think that uh, can be done if if people want to. I think one of the things that would be really helpful for people with Asperger's Syndrome to begin to keep a notebook or a journal of some kind where they can write down very definite observations that they have about their own sexuality, their own responses to stimulus, and um, what they think might work with another person and what might not, almost like creating an operating manual. About yourself, because I think one of the hardest things to do is to bring that information to another person, a prospective partner, without overloading them. Um, And I don't know, I'd like to see the convention of of an operating manual be something that we could all use, frankly. And uh, in a way, that's a bit of an elaboration on the BDSM process of negotiating, you know, what you want out of a scene. I think the clearer an Asperger's person can be about uh, his or her or her own sexuality, the better it is for a partner, you know, to really understand what's going on. The, The partner who does not have Asperger's syndrome is probably the more flexible of the two and is probably going to have to be prepared to put in what might feel like extra work in being flexible and understanding. But the Asperger's person can, uh, you know, by being specific and trying hard to uh, understand that what you're building is a bridge between the two different kinds of neurological uh, patterns, that's probably a good start.
0: Yeah, I you know, I in listening to what you're saying, I could definitely see that there is a it seems to me that there is a a divide between the body and the mind in all of us. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the cultural and sociological taboos. And on and on so when you're talking about writing this manual, it seems like the most responsible thing for a human being to do who wants to have a partner or a partners that they practice Tantra with or practice anything with that goes into the physical realm where there's so much loaded content about it. There's so much loaded fear of rejection about it. There's so much connected to all of this. And, the, you know, coupled with the shame and blame and guilt, uh, it seems like everybody's assignment should probably be from from this show on is to sit down and write yourself a manual (laughs) you know like I like this I don't like this please don't say don't call my genitals this Um, in the middle of sex I I preferred oo noises to ah noises or whatever I mean it's it actually seems so it seems like such an easy thing to do and yet most people, I don't know if they would tell that much truth about themselves.
1: Well, I, I think that's an interesting thought. You know, I, I I haven't written my own manual, so probably I should start first with that. <laughs> the, the The problem I do foresee with something like that is that it can't be written in stone. People are also going to have to adopt the kind of, you know, I'll take one from column A and, and two from column B way of creating some flexibility and movement because if you have an operating manual that's too specific you may not ever find a match for that and so there has to be some way of imparting the idea that you're going to put these things down on paper as a way of sharing yourself uh, but that the people who are looking at each other's manuals are going to have to be prepared to kind of look at well i can handle that i can't handle that and i'm prepared to Try to negotiate or uh, be flexible around some other thing. So there has to be some instruction, specific instruction, as to how to move around with that kind of manual idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, the other piece that occurred to me when you were responding is also that in the area of trust, like I know, for example, just in normal sexuality with boundaries, and I hate to use the word normal, so please forgive me. But <laughs> It's okay. in, in, in more vanilla sexuality, uh, people, when they're negotiating boundaries, they may only need the boundary for a limited amount of time until they've established a trusting connection with someone else. And then whatever they perceived as boundaries before might be able to be lifted in, in pursuit of more pleasure or more intimacy uh, because boundaries are flexible. It's really yeah. barriers. It's really barriers and rigidity that's rigid ba- rigid barriers that isn't flexible. Boundaries can be flexible when one has met their criteria or what have you, and, they, and there's more trust.
1: That's true, and I think it would just be, you know, depending on the individual people involved, you know, how how those boundaries might be expanded or stretched or how permeable they may be. And, and of course, there's no easy answer to that one. But I think you're right. You know, with a little more, you know, trust in working with somebody, I certainly saw progression in my relationship with my Aspie Tantra partner, that there were more things we could do as time went on, uh, particularly within the context of the, the gazing practices and how we approached it. But it took time. Uh, It was really cool, but it took time. Well,
0: I'd like to hear more about that in in our next segment. If you just tuned in to Tantra Cafe, I'm Laurie Handler, your host. I'm talking today with Dr. Amy Marsh, who is a sexologist and writes a column, Love's Outer Limits for Carnal Nation. We'll be right back. Are you afraid of drying up? Is sex uncomfortable? Is that why you don't have it so much anymore? Today, I'm speaking with the founder of New Zealand Pure, which makes unique products for sexual wellness, and her name is Shayna Venice. Shayna, tell us about vaginal dryness and what's the product that we should be using.
2: Vaginal dryness nowadays has become more of an epidemic than we realize. More and more women are having discomfort, not only just walking around, but with sexual intercourse, sexual uh, a- action, interaction, and I hear daily that it's uncomfortable, and uh, I- I'm not having sex anymore because it hurts, and all kinds of different stories. How can we remedy this? And well, one of the remedies is silk. Silk is a unique lube made from New Zealand kiwi fruit vines. And what this lube does is help to increase your own vaginal secretions by... That's
0: amazing. That's totally amazing. And can we just... It's silk, S-Y-L-K, right? It's not... That's,
2: that's right, S-Y-L-K.
0: And so it increases a woman's own bodily function of vaginal secretions. That's, that's amazing.
2: Yes, and it mimics the vaginal secretions. So if you apply it let's say in the afternoon and you know you're going to make love that night, you don't have to worry about it. It will be there. Uh, The beauty of the silk is it increases with wetness. So if you apply the silk for sex or you apply the silk for vaginal dryness, it will be with you all day. That's fantastic. When people, if you would like to
0: find out about this, go to SilkUSA.com. That's S-Y-L-K-U-S-A dot com to find out more. You can also write to me, Laurie, at TantraCafe.com to find out about Silk. Many times on Tantra Cafe, you've heard my guests and me discuss emotional release techniques. Now, you can do emotional release work in the privacy of your own home. In my CD, Shamanic Release and Latihan, I create a very, very safe and sacred space in which you can do the powerful work I'm known for in my Tantra courses. First, I set you up with the proper positioning and breathing, and then I guide you through emotional states to the beat of tribal African rhythms. Try this CD as an easy way to do your personal clearing work on a regular basis and and watch your relationships walk free from emotional baggage. You can order my CD at ButterflyWorkshops.com for only $20. I believe you're worth it. I hope you do. Go to ButterflyWorkshops.com and get your copy now, and walk free from emotional baggage. We're back with Tantra Cafe, and I'm Laurie Handlers, your host. And I want to remind you that if you'd like to know more about Sex educators uniting around the world, people coming together to eliminate shame and blame and guilt to take away all the suppression and repression that we've had globally. Visit www.schooloftemplearts.com. Perhaps you can find a new career for yourself in learning about temple arts and in finding out more about the global unity of people who are coming together about sex education. Also want to remind you to go to Laurie's recommended list at webtalkradio.net to find out up-to-date listings of books, products, and services that enhance your tantric lifestyle. You can find out things about polyamory for the 21st century by Dr. Deborah Annapole. You can find out about Tantra for Awakening. Crystal Dawn Morris, or even find out about whether you need to increase your hormones from the hormone nurse. Those are just a few of my recommended lists. There's Tantrika Maya, and Krishna and I do. Many, many people who are listing with me to get their message out there to you, so please go there and find them. They may have the solution for you. My guest today is Dr. Amy Marsh, and we're talking about Asperger's. She called her former partner and Aspie, which also is a new term for me. I never heard that term before. Uh, her Aspie tantric partner. I'd like to know, really, ex- how long were you together and how long did some of these things take? We kind of left off at that in the last segment. And how patient did you have to be? Because you sound like a woman with the most amazing patients in the world. I'm not sure I could do that.
1: Well, this was in the context of... Uh, Both of us were uh, identify as polyamorous, so uh, it wasn't my, uh, you know, only thing that I was dealing with. Let me put it that way, and uh, definitely not the only relationship that my partner was dealing with either. I would say we were only together for two or three years at most before he was diagnosed with leukemia, and um, it. I I don't know what to say, except that it was an amazing experience. It taught me a lot, but my patience wasn't always very patient. (laughs) Thanks
0: for admitting that.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no. There were times, I'll tell you. Well, what are some of the things that it taught you that have carried
0: into the rest of your life?
1: I think it taught me to step outside of my own expectations about relationships for example i i had to begin to understand that there were other patterns like this very you know as i explained a kind of choppy emotional sort of compartmentalized thing
2: that mm-hmm. was
1: not easy for me to deal with but that was his pattern and if i could accept him on those terms things were a lot better all the way around so i had to really expand in a lot of ways
0: yeah it sounds like you're basically expanded i mean such that you're bringing help. Probably in this, in your Carnal Nation article, you're probably helping many people. What uh, what would you say your readership was, and how you know how many people subscribe to Carnal Nation and read your column?
1: I don't really know. There are a lot of different people, really, really great writers on, on Carnal Nation, if I if I can say that, mm-hmm. including my oldest child is also writing for them, the Transgression column. There uh, seem to be an up-and-coming venue. Uh, I know one of the best columns that's written so far has been about resentment by Charlie Glickman. Fantastic piece, and that's gotten over 26,000 readers or hits right now, which is absolutely great. That column really deserves it. Uh, about relation, uh, resentment being the relationship killer. It's it's really fantastic piece. Uh, So things, you know, I I check who's reading, you know, how many people are reading, you know, column. I I write once a week. And it goes up and down. You know, some things have really surprised me and other things have not been so popular.
0: Would you say that your experience with your partner with the Asperger's helped you deal uh, and expand yourself to deal with your, your child who's transgender?
1: No, I don't think that really had anything to do with it. I I was pretty, I don't know, from my teens, I've had a soft spot in my heart for anybody who was gender fluid or trans. That's just always been a part of me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that didn't really, that really didn't have an effect.
0: Okay. Well, maybe you could shed us a little light about that, how, you know, it was something that you were open to. It sounds like maybe even before you had this child. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to get some more tips for people who, who, um, who might be listening and 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 find themselves in some similar situations that you found yourself in, you know, or that you created.
1: <laughs> okay, right, right. There's that. Uh, well, you know, being a being a parent is it's quite a journey anyway. You never know what's going to happen with your child or the ways in in which that kid's going to develop and and grow. So you pretty much have to be ready for anything. And uh, for me, this was not your typical situation where my oldest child was somebody that we knew early on was trans. This came up in the late teens. And in a way, that's really too bad because it would have been nice to get him the hormone blockers. Uh, so that he didn't have to go through puberty in the way that he did as a girl uh it would have been nice to block that stuff and uh, then be able to get him on the testosterone after that but it the process is what it is and i'm very proud of uh, the fact that he's been able to emerge as the young adult that he is and make the decision to transition it was probably not an easy one for him but it was probably the only one the only decision he could have made
0: of all the people that i've interviewed on my show who have gone transgender it seems like it wasn't easy there was no easy solution any which way uh, that but they're certainly happy and much more comfortable being who they are now than being who they were born to be so I've I've seen that over and over again. So i yeah. had the same. I didn't realize that you could do uh hormone therapy prior to um prior to puberty that would change things or prevent some things from happening. I guess it makes sense as you say it.
1: Well it's hormone blockers, so it's not hormone therapy. If people want more information, the gender is a great website. I was just at their Family conference this last weekend, and I, I gave a presentation there on alternative sexualities. But that is a really, really great place to start for information for anybody who has a child who's gender fluid or uh, transgender. It was great.
0: Stated again, what is it called? The gender,
1: uh, gender spectrum. dot org. And. Uh, okay. Yeah, they're they're really fa- fantastic source. And uh, let's see, what else can I tell you?
0: Um, well, I'm I'm you're fascinating. I just want you to know you're absolutely fascinating. Uh, with all, I mean, it's just I you're speaking about stuff that I don't know that I don't know so much about. So I'm excited. I'm I'm like fascinated to like just. Pick your brain and find out more (laughs) in the couple of minutes that we have left. Oh, thank you. How how do you use hypnotherapy?
1: Oh, hypnotherapy is a great modality for uh, working with certain kinds of sexual issues, including shame and some functional issues. It's um, because it actually really addresses the body as well as the mind and the intuition.
0: So, so, so you would use hypnosis? How? hmm, It's interesting. It's interesting. I haven't, yeah, I haven't used hypnosis. I guess I put people in big trance state, you know, and that some that it borders on hypnosis, but I haven't hypnotized anybody. So you can help people with their shame
1: issues. Yeah, yeah, for shame. um, Oh gosh, in a low desire. You know it's it's one way to to begin to support the the journey back into sexual desire there's a a lot you can do i think that one problem is a lot of practicing hypnotists have not been trained well in sexual issues but they are using hypnosis for certain kinds of sexual things and so i'd really love to see more uh, really specific cross-fertilization in those areas um, because you, you need to have an understanding of human sexuality, I think, to really do that well. But hypnosis is a great tool.
0: Sounds like another book. <laughs> We're writing a manual for uh, for introducing our lovers to ourselves and also a book on on hypnosis and um, in, in using sexuality. Well I listen, Amy, I really want to thank you for taking the time today to come on to the show. I think a lot of stuff that you said in different areas, you know, will be helpful to people, both if they have Asperger's, if they're the partner of an Asperger's person, and then even, you know, just expanding into being there, being fluid enough to to uh Help your children if they're struggling with uh, transgender issues or anything. Just uh, enabling them to come out as the people that they truly are. So I thank you. I recommend to people that they find you at uh, is it what's your website? Uh, doctor Amy Marsh, dot
1: com. That's it. Yeah. www the dot doctor amy marsh sexologist dot com. Definitely. Great. You can find
0: out more information about
1: Amy. You can find out about how you can see
0: her or work with her. If you have any of the issues that you're talking about, if you have some kind of love's outer limit issue where you have a, a different kind of sexuality, a different from what I call vanilla, it would be a good idea to look her up and find out for yourself how she can help you. So thank you so much again for being my guest today.
1: Oh, it was really fun. Thank you. I enjoyed it. You're
0: welcome. You're welcome. And, again, you can follow me, Laurie Handlers, on Twitter, Facebook. You can write to me at laurie at tantracafe.com to find out more about any of my guests. Of course, I love your fan mail. Please write to me and just let me know what you think of the show. Remember that today's show is brought to you by Silk, which you can find out more about at butterflyworkshops.com forward slash silk, S-Y-L-K. It's the personal lubricant that enhances your pH on the inside. Namaste from Tantra Cafe. I look forward to being with you next time when my guests will be talking about vaginal dryness and healing the vagina and yoni, as we call it in Tantra, healing different modalities of healing. Please tune in.